Hi, my name is Jules Hamilton and this is Keeping It Good, the Good Summer podcast. I am so amazed and delighted to be back sharing with you today and sharing a conversation with the magnificent Mr. Collie Ennis. Collie is a legend of a man. He's one of my favourite people. Um, I have known him for several years. He has been a real supporter of the Good Summit and all that we're trying to do. And it's just a delight to sit with him and have this conversation on wildlife, on ecology, on sustainability and biodiversity. Collie Ennis works in security uh, in Trinity College Dublin. He is also a research associate in the Department of Zoology at Trinity. And absolutely, this is makes so much sense for a guy who grew up, as you will hear, with tadpoles and reptiles and bugs and spiders. His passion shines through, his intelligence shines through, and more than that, just wait till you hear what he actually walked into the room with. I hope you enjoy the conversation as much as I did. Collie Ennis. My friend and a man who inspires me regularly. Welcome to the Good Summer Podcast. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. We got here eventually. Well, listen. Well, listen. Sometimes you warm up into a conversation, but oh my goodness, let's just jump in. You have arrived. Well, no. Let me let me take a step back in before that. Uh, we're uh, we're now having a nice couple, which is lovely because we both need it. But you sent a message a little while ago and said, listen, really sorry, running a little bit late and I've been called to a house to go and get a snake. Uh, there's a snake loose in the house. Yeah. So that's the sort of, the, and, and then I think that's really cool. But then you actually turn up and there's a snake sitting in front of me right here. <laughs> a lovely little corn snake has had, uh, I think I would say, absconded from their owner's enclosure. Uh, snakes are great escape artists and it was roaming around a, a shared accommodation in rat mines so obviously people weren't were, were concerned and weren't happy so yeah I, I, it was very lucky i got the call as i was kind of coming out to see you so i just swung in and i thought it would take a lot longer than it, it did so i actually i, I managed to, to nab it fairly quickly and it's happy out now we'll get it home and and feed it up and hopefully find its owner so so two questions uh, first question, I can see it moving in yeah. that bag. Yeah. Um, that bag's secure? If it's snakes very secure, are great yeah. escape it's, artists. It's, it's well zipped up there, you can see. So, yeah. That's just a beautiful, beautiful snake, beautiful snake actually. Yeah. So, that's what, maybe two foot long? Two foot, yeah. yeah. Well cared for. Uh, not, not fully grown yet. They'll get to about between four and sometimes even up to, to, to five and a half, six foot for oh, wow. certain breeds of corns. But, uh, yeah. So, so we obviously don't have snakes in the wild in Ireland. We don't. We don't. Uh, 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 the rumour is that St. Patrick got rid of them. Do you know what he said when he was driving the snakes out of Ireland? No. Tell Shh. Me. Be quiet in the back. <laughs> Brilliant. I'm going to use that one. I'm going to use that one. That's great. Um, I had a... Oh, well, second question. How did you get it? How did you just walk into the house and... Somebody yeah. says, there's a snake in here. There's and a snake somewhere in here. Yeah, it's 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 kind of like fishing. you got to think like the fish. But in, in this case, you think like the snake. And okay. snakes are, are cold-blooded, so they need heat to to basically survive. And if everyone, you know, if somebody spots a snake in a house, they're probably out looking for a bit of food. But they'll always go back to the spot where they were getting warm. And usually it's a radiator or it's a... a, a you know, a, a, an oil heater or something like that. 
and and that's exactly where this this little chap was um in 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 a hot press so it, it was it was handy enough just to kind of get in there and, and was it curled up curled up curled up around a, a, a little pipe at the back so yeah grand happy a very easy one usually i got some weird ones i got the weirdest one i ever got was in a retirement home where a snake a six foot boa believe it or not had fallen through the dry you know the way when you have the roof your attic roof and you have to stand on the boards yeah rather than stand yeah. in the middle of the boards because you'll go through the the kind of the plasterboard that's on yeah. the ceiling yeah a snake fell through that onto a 78 year old man <gasps> big heavy boa yeah he was grand actually i couldn't believe it but yeah that was a funny one so so many questions Colin. <laughs> how did a how did a boa get into a retirement home so the the complex that the old folks were living in um was attached to another complex which was just regular uh, apartment buildings via the attic so right uh, with boas tend to move up they they would be like to get up into the trees and, and climb so i would imagine that that snake went up or maybe smelt some rats or mice in the attic and decided to wander up there and then move parallel across into the the place where the uh, okay the older okay were. um yeah. You'd actually take me back to my student days and to a really sad moment. Uh, actually, I'm not, it's maybe a nervous giggle, that's why I'm kind of giggling, but it, uh, we, in, in the first student house that I lived in, uh, in Belfast, uh, there was a load of us and I arrived into a house where the gentleman had uh, bought a royal python. Oh yeah. And yeah. gorgeous, gorgeous King John, the royal John, python, we nice. called him. Uh, but as you have said already, Snakes are great escape artists, and the the terror when we came down one morning to see an uh, empty the, Bavarian. The, the, yeah, yeah, uh, and we couldn't find him. And you know, uh, and and we sadly we found him dead. We didn't know whether he was, but do you know where? Do you know where we found him? This might not surprise you now. There was a massive big armchair. Oh. And he was he was curled, curled up, up just in between the the cushions. Yeah. So I don't know whether someone had actually sat probably, on him, probably, oh, which God. is which is really horrible. But I, you know, hearing you say that he would have wanted to have been warm, you know, yeah, in between those cushions it. could have been it. Yeah, nice and but warm. But I will People. I will never forget the first moment that I, I just kind of sat and John went round my neck. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're unusual. It's a, it's an acquired taste, but they are for the most part, lovely, gentle creatures. And, you know, I'm going to use this now as an opportunity to kind of just remind people, this is the time of year where snakes are a little bit more active because it's warmer. And mm-hmm. if they do if they do have a any opening on a, a, a cage or a loose a loose clip on the on the enclosure, they'll push it open. That'd be the end of it. They'd be off wandering and I'd be getting phone calls like the Ghostbusters have to slide down the, the snake pole. But... Um, so yeah. yeah, yeah. So this is uh, I I've I I got to to love you as the Spider Man, but here you are showing up uh, with snakes, Colleague, yeah. uh, Let's wind back a bit. Who are you? How did you get to be someone who ends up walking in here and say sorry? I was just called to go and capture a snake on the way to this podcast. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't. I I, I just. Tell us your story. Uh, yeah, it, I, I started out as a kid. I was very interested in nature. Art and nature were my two things. I loved drawing. I was mad into comic books. I still am. 
and I, I, I was into wildlife and I'd always keep tadpoles. My dad built a pond. I got fascinated by that. And then I started just reading a lot of books um, about nature. Attenborough was a massive thing for me. Growing up, I'd never miss his shows and documentaries. And then I started keeping... What a guy. Yeah, amazing. What an inspiration. And I, I started keeping then exotic pets and got into particularly tarantulas and amphibians, like frogs and newts. Um, but the spiders and the, and the amphibians are a big passion of mine. And, and that went on for years as a kind of a passion hobby. For what it, it just connected with you, like yeah, there, there was it, like there was a pond was, in the back garden. There it was, was these just something, and you were like, "Wow!" Yeah, it's. I feel very. Last night I went to bed at three. I got in at eleven, and I started working in in the in the animal shed, and I got in at three, and it's just, you know, it's hard to explain, but it's it's very. Um, when I'm focused on that, all my other worries go out the window. Mm-hmm. It's a very zen moment for me. Mm. I don't have to think about bills or whatever. I'm just focusing on getting this. Whatever I'm doing, good feeding, cleaning, setting up a new habitat, something mm-hmm. like that, and it's there. Uh, yeah, I really, I always enjoyed it. Uh, I, I was working as an electrician um, for a number of years, ten years or so, and I end up in uh, Trinity then because the crash happened. Oh, everybody got let go from the the trades in Ireland, mm-hmm. and I happened to be. So this is like two thousand and eight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I happened to be. Uh, training in in karate um in trinity i knew the security guards they said there's a position open for a summer relief i've been here ever since <laughs> so yeah um it's one of those jobs you just kind of fall in love with it and 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 through that and through my interest in animals i was also working in conservation outside with the herpetological society basically building ponds uh, making habitats, make, trying to make more habitats for our, our native wildlife, you know? See, that sounds like a really big word. Her- Herpetal. I, I can't even say yeah. it. So think what of, is that? Think of herpes. I know it's, right. it's disgusting. Herpetological. But herp- herpes is, herpetological is, is, it comes from the same um, Greek or Latin word, I can't remember, but it's it thinks that crawl. Oh, so, okay. Yeah, like a herpes okay. crawl across your lip and, 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 and the same with uh, lizards. Snakes and f- amphibians will be uh, all under herpafauna, so they be okay. all uh, cold. So things that crawl, things that crawl, yeah. And this is what you love, yeah. That's what I love. And and, and and like I was doing all that stuff, working in security, got talking to people in in zoology department because I knew we had a shared interest, and I was just like to chat because there's not many people in with my specific interests that yeah. Were, yeah you know I can't go to the pub and have a chat with my mates about you know whatever tarantula I'm breeding that week or you know or some kind of new scientific discovery that I'd be mad into so yeah I got talking to them and over the years then I did a couple of gigs for them started doing uh, working with students and, and doing public outreach and that really blossomed into a lovely relationship but to the point that now I'm kind of travel away to Kenya with them on field trips and I have, I've helped a number of students through projects and I know I'm working with UCD and, and especially up in Galway. I have a lot of friends up there in the, in the NUI up there in Galway um, because they're doing specific spider research, which really interests me. So it's mad. It's, it, it's I suppose, um, what did they say? It's like a bit of luck and a bit of knowledge at the same time or a bit of a skill set. And that's what happened. I just got lucky and just happened to know 
a, a bit about these animals and it just it just kind of it's very organic it was nothing was ever forced so it's it's really cool the way it's kind of landed on me that, that is that's gorgeous to hear what you know there's there's things that we see in others and there's things that we see in ourselves and sometimes those things meet and sometimes those things are really different so how you just described that is gorgeous but what i actually see as well is that you're an incredibly likable person and so that kind of way of partnering with people of connecting with people of especially of connecting through passion and stuff that matters that that actually just comes naturally to the likes of you so it didn't just happen you, you know well done thank you for thank being you. that sort of person <laughs> thank you because uh, that, that. that makes it easier actually yeah. and and whenever you you keep kind of passions front and central then there's real links for connecting uh, to people who who have the same sort of uh, interests or with people like me who are like oh sorry you do what yeah that's amazing and like yeah. this and I I, I I counted a privilege to have been in your critter shed mm. I, I really do tell us about the critter shed man was that just you got to a point where you're like okay you're hanging you're working in university you're hanging out with the theology department <laughs> you're doing helping them with research into spiders so what you needed to build a shed for your <laughs> 200 yeah well it, it's 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 called a shed but you've kind of been there it is a working lab for, for yeah. animals like yeah it's, it's it's all kitted out with the best I, of stuff i always feel that i'm walking into the back of a zoo yeah i, th- I'm, that's I always exactly feel i'm walking into like. zoo that's back the standard stuff. that's the standard i have it at because i want to make sure that it's yeah you know the animals are well cared for but what happened was again to do with the crash um i would have i would mainly kept frogs and spiders and spiders are great pets for believe it or not because they they tend to, especially tarantulas, they tend to burrow and they live in a burrow for the whole life. So you can create a burrow for them in a, in a nice enclosure with plants and everything around it and they are happy out. I often joke that like, you know, some, some spiders I'd see twice a year if I'm lucky. So it's like having no a way. pet hole. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like literally a hole in the ground. Like just looking at this thing going, oh, and you put in the food and it's gone in the morning. You never see them. Um, but uh uh, I, by uh, the way, I, I live in a household that just would not believe you. Yeah, <laughs> like know, spiders yeah. are great to have in a house. But, but uh, <laughs> keeping those was handy because y- you didn't need much space, really. When the crash happened, a lot of people were offloading uh, lizards, snakes, tortoises, turtles. And because it kind of had been well known around uh, the, the, that kind of particular hobby, uh, I ended up with a lot of animals that needed, you couldn't put them in a shoebox kind of, you know, and mm. it would be cruel mm-hmm. to do it. You could, and a lot of people do. I don't believe in that. So I needed to get a better setup. So I saved, and I saved, and I I invested in a proper, a whole proper setup for them. And now, you know, it's up to a really good standard and, and I'm very happy with it. And, you know, they're free to live out the rest of their lives in in comfort and and as close to their natural habitat as i can possibly pro- provide so that's that was the reason behind getting it and and i always it's a really sad part of your story but i always i'm really impressed that you know critter shed you know you've got your own critter shed podcast by mm-hmm. the way it is so people can listen to you and listen to much more and it's, it's just called the critter shed it's the critter shed yeah, yeah. So, so it's on it's on all the the podcasts yeah. yeah so so uh guys whenever you finish listening to this go and listen to more <laughs> yeah. calling critter shed but i remember uh I've, I've been in critter shed too yeah uh but critter shed 
one had a had a fire had a fire yeah yeah absolutely devastating devastating. yeah yeah it was it was rotten it was now fortunately we we didn't lose most of the animals wow we were okay uh because i caught it in time but uh it was it was rotten because the plate the the thing itself was destroyed but my friends are yeah. rallied See, around. That's that. This is the bit that I love. Yeah, my friends. What happened? They rallied around and they gave me like a ridiculous amount of money. Um, they set up a, a GoFundMe or uh, one of those kind of internet things, and uh, yeah, and basically helped me rebuild and rebuild a lot better. So you know, and actually the new. So we moved house. So now. It's critter shed three. three. I yeah. need to come and see three. So. Yeah, oh my god! <laughs> we have to so this room, so it's, oh, it's, it's really big. Yeah, so yeah, it, it's it's cool. Um, but yeah, it, that's that was very humbling to see people that again, like you know, are civilians in in that kind of game. They're not in. Yeah. They're not really interested in, but they know I I am, and they know I kind of love it. So just having my friends rally around like that was just unbelievable and really meant a lot, you know? You know what? This might sound simple, but I think that you with your animals and the education and the love and the care and the compassion that you put into the world through them, I think that came back. Came back. Yeah, well, uh, yeah. You know, if you yeah. put that stuff into the world, that's there in the world to, yeah. to be to be grown and to be nurtured. And I think people did that uh, in that case. And it's always really moving for me to remember that. Um. Critter Shed 3, how many, you said it's even bigger, so how, how many, like what, what have you got in there at the minute, what sort of species, how many? Oh my god, so I've, I've 20 odd different species of tarantula and then other spiders as well and then I've got Big Berta who's a boa I rescued, she's an 8, touching on 9 foot boa, big girl and she's a big unit in there and a couple other boas uh, and a, a few, a, I think a f- 5 or 6 more snakes tortoises terrapins um lots of frogs so yeah but they've it's so good because they've got big big amounts of space so it, you know they're 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 quite happy out and it's uh yeah it's good and i know that i can't ask you with some of your children that you love the most <laughs> <laughs> but what about the animals is there is there like one or two little uh kind of cages or not not cages but the yeah. What, yeah. Do you, what do you call them? Glass enclosures. Vivariums, yeah. Are there any ones that you have particular fondness for? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, oh. the, to- it's the toads in particular. I really? Just, they're just characters and they just the way they look at you, you know. And, um, and I, you know. Hang I, on. The way a toad looks oh, at yeah, you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. They've got this. Is, is, that, is that something like, here comes my prince? Yeah. No, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's that kind of like, you know, they're just very curious little heads on them. They're almost like. Uh, I think maybe as well, like growing up reading Wind in the Willows and all, Toad was such a character yeah. and that, maybe that's like a little throwback in my mind, but I just, they just seem like mischievous little kids and I, <laughs> I just really liked them. Um, but yeah, I'm not, come here. Some of the spiders I have are just stunning creatures. It's, you know, it's hard to pick one. It really is. They're, they're all amazing and they're all uh they're all fantastic. I just yeah. find them fascinating, endlessly fascinating. It's really good. And will this little corn snake in front of me, this lovely little two foot thing, will that go into the critter shed? Tonight? It will temporarily. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I really would like to get it back to its owner because, it, it, judging by just how it looks, it's a very well cared for. So somebody cares. Somebody really loves it. It's well fed. They well just don't so. care enough to make sure that there's no escape routes. Yeah. Uh, well, accidents happen. You know, and, yeah. and and you know, they could be it could be their first time keeping one, and 
you know, touching on something you said earlier on about how you approach people and, and, you know, even in the environmentalism, which I'm involved with and conservation work, um, especially online, I'm seeing a lot of like just constant negativity. Now, I know things are bad. There's no denying that. Um, but I, I'm a firm believer of you'll catch more flies with honey, you know, mm. and, and, and the way you approach people and the way rather than lecturing to uh, lead by example, to give inspiration um, to show something that you can do that's actually good and hopeful and then you can also while you're doing that say this is these are the issues we're dealing with this yeah. is what's happening but you're doing it in a way that you're not just shouting at people yeah. and saying you know what you know why are you flying you shouldn't be doing that you know um, and again even with the snake here it, it, it's counterproductive to me to go on now and say on, on my Twitter or whatever and say whoever did this is an idiot this snake could have been killed yeah, uh, yeah blah 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 that's no use to anyone um better off saying by the way oh here's a lovely snake i found it, it escaped by the way if you have a pet snake always remember to treble check your locks because yeah. that's what they're doing hopefully we'll get this back to their owner and that's yeah. a nice way of saying it it without, really is without kind of and it's like I, I just think it's a common sense approach just to be you know, I suppose maybe working in security all, all these years dealing with tourists, it's like when I go away um, on holidays, I'd expect somebody to talk to me the way, I, you know, I'd like to, yeah. I'd like to be talked to. Or No, how I talk to a tourist coming in here is the way I'd like to be talked to when I go away, yeah. if that makes yeah. sense. You know? Oh, so, perfect sense. And I think if just if you kind of go through life like that, just don't be an arsehole, kind of, you know what I mean? Just don't be... <laughs> Don't be rude to people and, yeah. and and just be polite and and think about what you're saying and how you're saying it, as opposed to lecturing and, and shouting at people. I, I really don't think that's uh, much use. I think it's counterproductive. This podcast is proudly supported by the amazing folks at Thought Collective, a team of designers and developers who create brands and digital products to captivate the crowd and communicate effectively. They make the Good Summit look great. Check them out at www.thoughtcollective.com. So this is the Good Summit podcast, Collie, and so we're all about what's good in the world, who's doing stuff that's good, how's it making a difference. Is that is that kind of your definition of common good? You know, mm-hmm. treating people... The way you want to be treated, treating animals the way, yeah, you know, yeah. You, I think, yeah. I, I think, you know, we're living in a in a world that's becoming increasingly divisive. Mm. Whatever you're into, um, whatever politics you're into, right down to whatever kind of TV you like, you know, there just seems to be this uh, reactionary uh, kind of thing with everything nowadays, where people are just argumentative all the time and I think social media has a lot to do with that because it's hard to it's it's easier to be nasty to somebody or just call someone an idiot over over Facebook or whatever um, whereas if you're talking to somebody you mightn't be as aggressive or you might listen to what they actually have to say and come to you know some kind of a conclusion between you and I think if people um, stop and think about what they're saying more and think about how the other person is feeling and mm-hmm. try and put yourself in their shoes mm-hmm. 
I really think that's that's a, such an important thing, and I think it's an art that's been lost. Mm. And I think mm-hmm. for the common good, you know, mm-hmm. I really do think that's important. Empathy, empathy mm. for animals, empathy for other people, even people you totally disagree with. You know, you could. It's it's like I hang around with young people, and they'd be scratching their head when I'd be talking about friends, which I, you know, would have views and and whatever kind of they're into and I completely disagree with them but they're still my friends and that is possible yeah. and I think that's a useful thing as well because you're more informed of the world and also if two years there are two people with opposing views can have a, an honest conversation about something then you might come to a useful conclusion you know that and both can change this this uh, uncompromising view of the world I don't think helps it certainly doesn't I, I don't think it helps in I know from experience, I don't think it helps in conservation. I think you need to, you know, you need to be more, you need to tread carefully. That's just what I was going to ask you. I was actually going to say, uh, couldn't agree more. The world needs more partnership and togetherness and empathy and understanding. You know, a lot of those things that you've just said. Uh, Certainly, we at the Good Summit are all about trying to encourage that and create more of it. Do you think some of the anger and the division and the stuff that you were just talking about, do you think that works itself in to, to damaging the environment and to damaging the earth and ecology? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 almost politicized now. It's like okay. if you if you're an environmentalist or if you identify if you say try and push something. Uh, green forward you get a lot of people who would lean right or be more right uh, on the uh, on on the right wing of political organizations or whatever would start rolling their eyes because they just think you're a lunatic tree hugger who wants to you know Mm -hmm. kind of just get every car off the road and uh, and and so on and it also down like the the farming community are are increasingly becoming separated from the environmental uh, movement because Farming has become uh, more impactful on nature as it be, as it becomes more intensified. But like screaming at farmers and calling them monsters is not the way to to encourage them to go back to best practice or mm. older ways or to to listen to environmentalists and that that's the sort of stuff I'm talking about and it, mm-hmm. that is really damaging to the environment. So that has so real impact. It really yeah. does, and it's again, it's you're just. So, so what happens is you say something nasty to the the, the farming organization. So you push them away a little bit, uh, and then they do they they don't listen to any advice from an environmental uh, mm-hmm. consultancy or, or group. And then the, uh, the the environmental group will give out about the more pushing them further away. So you're, all you're doing is making more gaps rather than kind of, you know, if, 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 in the first place, if you say, you know, this is this is you have to say look I understand where you're coming from farmers are struggling and because it's just everybody's struggling at the moment and if you were to say look why don't we work together to try and get you the opportunity to get government grants to get EU grants which they're hopefully going to start providing because they're all politicians are always talking about being green but coughing up the cash is another thing but yeah. if, if farmers and environmental groups will go hand in hand and go listen I'm going to give up 24% of my land to wetland uh, wildflowers and native forest if you'll just subsidize that there you go there's mm-hmm. a problem solved and that's going hand in hand together rather than just screaming at the, the each other across uh, 
across a room. I, mm-hmm. It's a very specific example, but it's just one mm-hmm. uh, that that is go ongoing. Yeah. And, and, yeah. You know, and it is an example of uh, real damage being done to the environment because nobody's talking. Yeah. Colleague, we don't have that much time left. No. I really appreciate the conversation. Take us through some of the areas as we kind of begin to close. Where have you seen some of that stuff happen with really positive impact? Where, where is conservation going really well? Have you got stories, you know, from Ireland or beyond? You know, what, what are some of the things that you look around and you're like, yeah, yeah, this is good. This is what needs to happen. Yeah, there's, there's, you know, it, there's a, a tourist out there for, for, for in community groups a lot. Mm. So like, uh, I'll give you, I'll give you a nice little one. There's a, a community group in, in, in Drim that I'm working with and they went to the, to the local government and councils and asked them for, for money to, to, to do some environmental work. And we're getting dragged through red tape. That's another big issue, but that's for another podcast, but there's a lot of red <laughs> tape involved in trying to get anything started up in this country. Uh, especially on, with local councils. But they've gone out on their own and started teaching people how to build mini ponds. I've been advising them, uh, just showing up just to, to go pe- you know, bring people through the, the, the nitty gritty of it. But uh, that kind of grass level, like I mean, the other day it was lashing rain. We were standing on the banks of the canal at Inchicore. We'd put out a, an advert like a, a couple of days beforehand. And we had 30 people show up. All of them took a mini pond home with them. All of them have set them up. We've done that three or four times now at this stage. So that's, you know, and, and each time we're getting 30, between 30 and 50 people there. So that's a lot of ponds in a, in, in a big area, which is increasing uh, biodiversity in people's gardens. And that gives me great hope. You know, now there's massive projects going on all over the world that are really good and uh, on, on a massive scale with, with replanting in India and, and you know, all these kind of uh, big scale things, but just people in their own gardens making a difference it does make a difference. It's, it's so a how lot. can we do that? Brilliant. It's, you know, it's, so people listening, yeah. what are two or three things that people in their own gardens can do yeah, to make a difference that uh, makes a difference? This, this is something I'm passionate about, right? because, you know, all these little, you think about all these gardens are potential habitats. Mm-hmm. Um, we're, we're obsessed with tidiness. We're obsessed with, this plastic grass stuff that's coming in um, is the bane of my life. If I could burn it all, I would. But um, <laughs> um, it wouldn't be good for the for the air, I suppose. But uh, the, your own garden, if you're fortunate enough to have one, even if you're renting a place, you can start off by creating a small mosaic of habitat. And a mosaic of ha- habitat is like a you know a quilt with several different patches. So you're looking at putting some wild native wildflowers in a pot or planting them. Some kind of still water, uh, be it a raised pond, a small raised pond, or if you can sink a pond into the ground, doesn't, and a pond doesn't have to be massive, it can be a couple of foot across, it could be a, a tub from Ikea that you sink into the ground, put some rocks in it, and things will show up and live in it. And then leave a small pile of wood uh, in a corner, some some rocks, all of this stuff, it sounds ridiculously simple, but it all adds up. And, you know... When you're moving your, your plastic bins uh, of an evening to put them into the recycling, when you lift them up, you're obviously going to see warm slugs, wood lice. They're mm-hmm. looking for these homes. So if you provide them for them, then you're just creating habitat. That in turn gives birds the chance to feed on these invertebrates, which allows them to nest. 
And the thing about this kind of movement is it becomes addictive. You start off with your with your small book of pond and then you go, oh my God, I'm getting dragonflies, I'm getting, you know, frogs showing up, I'm getting hedgehogs. I, this is this is really interesting. And then you'll say, I could do better and I'm going to get a bigger pond. And, then, and it goes like that. And then I'm going to give, ten, instead of 10% of my garden, I'm going to maybe rewild half my garden. And then by the end of it, you'll have a mad garden like me. It's a really <laughs> addictive thing because it gives you such pleasure and joy to see all these animals showing up for free. Costs you nothing. It really does, you know, and it, it, it there's plenty of help online um, to, uh, and guides on, on, on multiple uh, websites for wildlife uh, websites. And, uh, you know, it, it's easy enough to follow and easy enough to do. I'm about to move house, Collie, <laughs> and uh, really excited about moving to somewhere with a big garden. Oh. And uh, there's part of the garden, actually, it's, it's kind of, it's, it's a bank. Oh, great. So that whole uh, cutting the grass, that that's not going to happen. Brilliant. Uh, so there's already like some, I've already seen it. There's some plants there. And and I'm just thinking, that's that. I'm just leaving that. Just going to grow the Brilliant. wild grass. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Do I need to bring in, like, if I just kind of want wildflowers and, uh, you know, I want kind of the wildness for the biodiversity and the bees and the insects. And can I, if I just let it grow, is it just all weeds or, or is it? You know, is it in other words, can I be lazy and just <laughs> let all of that grow? Or are there particular wildflowers that I should kind of go and well, you're looking try to, to throw in there? Yeah, what you're looking to do is to kind of have controlled mayhem, controlled madness, right? Um, grass can take over a place, and it's quite uh, it's it's what we would call a monoculture where it just it's all grass and and things will use it, but not as many things as if you have a multitude of native wildflowers. Um, so what you can do is very lazily is just kind of push towards less grass and more wildflowers. And, and, and that's pretty easy to do because basically you just strim or cut the grass in the autumn and you take away all the dead grass. You don't just let it sit there. So that all that nutrients isn't going back into the ground, which mm-hmm. weakens the grass. And you just sow yellow rattle and other, uh, yellow rattle's great, but other kind of native wildflowers. There's lots of advice again uh, on the uh, all pollinator plan for, for how, how to go about this. And what happens is then the next summer that will grow, you let it grow for the whole year and you can keep it tidy by mowing around the edges. If you look at the front of Trinity College, yeah. they have the wildflower meadow, but yeah. they have the edges mowed. Okay. And it just, oh, somebody did that on purpose as opposed to yeah. just your, your garden is chaos. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's what it is. And then you continue that process. You mow it once or twice a year, take all the stuff away, let it grow again. So it's 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 brilliant. It really is. Uh, it's the lazy man's dream, but it's also fantastic for the environment. And it looks stunning, stunning. I advise one of my friends who has a big, big back garden to do it this year. And he has a meadow of unbelievable wildflowers and all. They're just um, amazed at how it worked out. Um, very doubtful at the start because when it comes into... Uh, uh, into the kind of April it looks a bit rank but then once it kicks into summer all these flowers open and it's just alive and, and you'll have that right up until September which is fantastic and 
you have inspired me. Yeah. I'll tell you what, I can't name who it was, but I, you know, I've got three stepdaughters, I've got a lovely wife. Stepdaughters are lovely too, yeah. let me put that on record. Yeah. I'll not tell you which one of those females and everyone's talking about this new garden. We can have a bird bath. I'll not tell you which one went, oh yeah, and the birds leave their poo everywhere. Birds <laughs> <laughs> are going to do that anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, thank you for the inspiration, Collie. So good to talk to you. Thank you for your work here in Trinity, but thank you for the work that you're doing nationally and internationally uh, for biodiversity and for the environment and most of all I swear that that snake is now looking at <laughs> it me is looking at both as, I'm, yeah. as, as I'm talking <laughs> to you. Carly you look after yourself and look after that thank snake it's been a real really pleasure. Enjoyed that conversation thank you so much. That was the amazing Collie Ennis and my heart is so warmed after that conversation. Collie, thank you so much for all you put into the world and all you put into the world on behalf of animals and bugs and critters and spiders and snakes. And I really hope that the owner of that corn snake, that gorgeous little corn snake actually, I hope that you find the owner soon and that that story has a happy ending. Uh, maybe I can tell you what happens in a later podcast, folks. But for now, thanks to Collie. Thanks to our production team at Keeping a Good to Good Summer podcast. It's Andy and Steph. And this is Jules Hamilton inviting you to go into the world and keep it good. See you next time.